So, in a different gear, how many of you like receiving mail? Anybody here like to get letters in the mail? I love getting letters in the mail. It makes me think of the puppets uh, about the one that we did for the progressive dinner and saying, I love getting mail. It's all I can hear. But ever since I was a kid, I always liked going to the post office. And my kids like going to the post office. They don't get letters very often, but it's something that's fun to do. And uh, you'd expect mail if you had a pen pal or if you wrote somebody a letter. But as a kid, that didn't always click. I was just always going with anticipation, hoping there would be something. Well, after I got older, this will date me a little bit, but I think about 1995, email. I started getting email. And we started uh, getting, we had a server called Juno. Anybody ever hear of Juno for email? Yeah, okay, it was this dial-up connection and me and my brother and sister racked up this great big bill for my parents because it was a long distance phone call for the computer to check the email. And I sent out a bunch of emails, always hoping, and I'd check daily multiple times, looking, hoping for mail. I didn't get it because it wasn't that big of a thing at that point. Now you get emails probably pretty regularly. Uh, a text message on your phone kind of works as mail. I always like getting those and checking those. Uh, but yes, most people like getting mail. And I know uh, if you think about this, this is a Bible. You probably have all heard this is a love letter to you. This is mail from God to you. And within the pages of this book, we're going to be looking at a book that almost seems even more like a letter to you because it was a, a letter that's pretty much sent to churches everywhere in that area, but it can be applied to our church today. And so we're going to be diving through this book, looking at this as not just a letter to them, but as a letter to us. And so today we're going to be looking at who is the author of this book or this letter and who is he writing to? We know his name is Paul, but there's a little bit more to that. Number two, when and where is this author and this audience? And number three, why was this letter written? What lies within it? So we're going to be mainly focusing on two verses, but we're going to be jumping into other places. And so please, uh, if you can, follow along and see what does this book have to do with us. So first of all, who is this author and who is he writing to? Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1a says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now, the name Paul is probably very familiar with us. If you've been with us, we recently, before the book of Jonah, we went several weeks, several months through the book of Acts. And we saw lots of Paul's history through his ministries, of his mission trips, of the people that he talked to, and, and some of the things that he accomplished in the name of Jesus. But who is this guy Paul? Well, first of all, Paul was also known as Saul. Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul was his Roman name. So before Paul got saved, he ran around as Saul through the first part of the book of Acts. And then later on, he switches to be going by Paul. Before Paul became Paul, and when he was known as Saul, he was a very religious Pharisee. He was a guy who uh, was very adamant about living out the faith that he had. He was a guy who was willing to do whatever it took to do what he believed that God wanted him to do. And he was very religious. He was even religious to the point of 
of trying to destroy this church. It says, For you heard of my previous way in life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. Does this sound like a guy who's half-hearted and following the Lord? No, extremely zealous. He's advancing amongst, above the people of his own age and all because he was trying to please God. He was the guy who was, when they were stoning Stephen, says, hey, I'll hold all your coats so you guys can pick up that rock and you can aim better and you don't have to have your sleeve in the way and you can pelt him until finally he's dead. At that point, it's like Paul gets a taste for blood because from that point on, he goes out on his own and he starts persecuting the church. He starts getting letters from synagogues and going from place to place to arrest people, to take them back to Jerusalem, put them in prison, cast his vote that these people should die. Paul, hardly the candidate for the guy who's going to get saved, much less the guy who's going to be writing a letter that's in a Bible that we're looking at today. But that is what Paul was. And he says what Paul is. What is he now? Paul is an apostle, which means he's a special messenger. He's a delegate, um, like an ambassador, as in a naval squadron getting sent out on an expedition. Not everybody gets sent out to do that. It was a special assignment that was given to them. He was, he was as an ambassador, going to another country. I've never been to another country. And if I happen to go to Canada, which I, I guess I have done, they didn't ever ask me to be an ambassador. They didn't ask me to go represent that country on their behalf. And so this is a very special assignment. Not something that's run of the mill, that's something everybody gets to do. This was something special that God had asked Paul to do. He was apostle. He was a special messenger. What did it take to become an apostle? There are three things that, that it took. For one, you had to receive a commission directly from Christ Jesus himself. Jesus' disciples were sent, were handpicked, and they were sent off to do something from Jesus himself. So they fit into that category. Paul himself, in Galatians chapter 1.15, we find that, that Jesus appeared to Paul in a vision and sent, was sending him out. So he received commission directly from Christ. Number two, you had to see Jesus after his death and resurrection. Well, Jesus died a long time before Paul did, but on the road to Damascus, Jesus appeared and audibly spoke. And then there's a vision that we see in Galatians chapter one, that Jesus appeared to Paul. So he's, he's fit in the first two. The third thing, he had to have a special gifting from God. Paul was able to expound and write the scripture. He wrote 13 letters in the book of the Bible. He definitely fits that example of, of an apostle. Paul was the persecutor of the faith. Now Paul is a promoter of the faith. That's a dark a day, and a night a day difference. It was black and white. Paul was that guy. But what was it that caused him to go from the persecutor to the promoter? Paul had... It started actually in Galatians chapter 115. It says that when God who set me apart from birth, before Paul was born, God handpicked Paul and said, I want you, Paul, to go and be a, an apostle. I want you to go to be a witness. I want you to go to be a testimony. At some point in your life, Paul, when you grow up, I have this assignment for you. 
So what brought about this change? It started before Paul had even taken one breath. Before Paul was even a twinkle in his mama's eye. Right? That's when God had picked Paul to do something. That's where it started from. But in, in Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 4, we learned a little bit of the process about this. You know, Paul has already gone through these different towns. He's arresting Christians. And on his way to Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell, fell to the ground. And he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who's speaking there? It's Jesus. This is verifying that he was supposed to be an apostle. He's hearing from Jesus, but he's getting this commission from Jesus himself to go and be an apostle. It's what God had in mind for him to do. It was something that was from the will of God. It wasn't Paul's idea to do this. It wasn't Paul's idea to go from being a persecutor to a promoter of the faith. He thought he was doing exactly what he was called to do by destroying the Christian church because he didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. And so he's trying to stomp that out. He's trying to please God. He's doing whatever it takes. But because of this interaction with Jesus, his life is now different. Not his own choice. If it's up to him, he would have continued. But because of Jesus, he's going 180 degrees in a different direction. It was all set up from the start, and it was all because of Jesus. Really, that's the kind of difference there should be in your life. That's the kind of difference there should be in my life. If I say, I believe in Jesus, I should not look the same as I did last week. Whether I was saved when I was five years old or whether I got saved last week, there should be a difference. I should always be growing to become more like Jesus. Paul had that night and day difference. My dad, he had that night and day difference from being the speeder, from the, the drunk, from the smoker, from the fighter, from all these different things. He went from that to in this position. He doesn't do those things anymore. He had that night and day difference. That language went bye-bye. Everything bad, pretty much that I know of went bye-bye and he became a new creation because he is a new creation. There should be a difference in our life if we have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior. So Paul is the guy he's writing. Who is he writing to? He's writing to the audience. It says to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, how many people here, when you read the book, you read this verse, you think this book was written to the Ephesians? Okay, <laughs> that's what I thought too. I thought this book was written to the Ephesians. Now, not to say that it didn't actually get into the hands of the Ephesians, but I learned that the earliest manuscripts do not say, to the, it says to the church, but not in Ephesus. The earliest or the best manuscripts don't have that. And we can, we can discuss, there's a lot of possible reasons that it became to be known as a church in Ephesus. For one, maybe it was a church, uh, it was sent to multiple churches, and someone just added and said, here's your copy. And they sent it to the church in Ephesus, and so they had their, their own copy. I, I'm sure they ended up, it, it, this letter ended up to the, in the church of Ephesus. We looked at them in Acts 19 and 20. Paul was interacting with them for like three years. He had a, a huge, he had a great relationship with these people. And so they did end up with this. They're just one of many churches. 
But when you look at this map, if you can see it, this church was not just, or this letter was not just sent to this church. It was sent to this entire area. This was known as a circulatory letter. It was a letter going there and a letter to there and a letter to there. Thus the title of the message to the saints in Plevna, because it wasn't directly just to one church about your issues or about your problems or about your kudos. This was sent to multiple churches. Thus the church is in Plevna today, but it was sent to multiple churches in this area. And he says, he says to the saints in Christ Jesus, saints means holy or separated. Now last yesterday, while I was practicing this, I hope you can tell <laughs> yesterday while I was practicing this, I thought, well, what does it take to become a saint? Does anybody know what it takes to become a saint? There's five things that are required. And I'm sorry, none of you here are saints based off of this. Okay? Uh, you might be, you could be working your way that direction, but according to this, you're not there yet. So to become a saint, first of all, you have to be dead for at least five years. So we're all here alive. We're all breathing. Uh, you have to have lived a life with sufficient holiness and virtue. There's some level of holiness and virtue you have to live up to. I don't know what that is. And maybe you've arrived at that point. But you have a certain level of holiness that you have to live up to. You have to show proof of a life of heroic virtue. So because of your holiness and your work in science, people have been drawn to prayer. Right? Anybody feeling like I'm, I'm a saint? Me neither. Uh, number four, you have to have verified miracles. And so yesterday, practicing, I picked on da uh, Darren. You know, we're going to say, you know, Darren, I'm sorry, you passed away. And Darren's up in heaven. And you all need a miracle. We need Leslie to be done with MS. Somebody else has some uh, life-threatening disease. And so we're all going to pray to Darren. And that would be a verified miracle if Leslie's MS goes away or that life-threatening disease goes away. That would be step, that's number four if you want to be a saint. And number five is we have to do it twice. We have to pray to Darren twice. and There has to be some kind of verified miracle based off of praying to Darren. So pretty much it's impossible to become a saint according to what this church believes or, or what you Google and they say this is what it takes to become a saint. So don't try going that way. You're actually here already all saints. And it's not because you are so holy or you're so righteous or because you have some level that you've lived up to. Right? When you get saved, you become a saint in Christ Jesus. J. Vernon McGee puts it this way. One who has trusted Christ and is set aside for the whole purpose of God. At the moment you get saved, you're, you're trusting Christ. And the moment you get saved, you are set aside for the whole purpose of God. So if you have done A, put your faith in Jesus, you are considered a saint in Christ Jesus. And it says to the faithful in Christ Jesus, meaning those who put their faith in Jesus. But if we take it a step farther, we can add on to it those who are walking in faith, those who are living a life that demonstrates a life, a life of faith. That I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. My life is different from what it was. I'm growing and changing and becoming more like Jesus. That's who Paul is writing to. He's looking at those churches and saying, you guys are demonstrating your faith. Verse 15 says, For this reason, ever since I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints. This information is coming to Paul. He says, you guys are the real deal. You have trusted Christ. Your life is changing and you're becoming more like Jesus. 
Now, God doesn't just use saints. I mean, he doesn't just use people like the Apostle Paul. He doesn't just use pastors. He doesn't just use missionaries or Sunday school teachers. God wants to use everybody who is a follower of Jesus to accomplish something. And if you say, boy, I'm not sure God's using me for anything. Well, according, in the words of a commentary, it's your fault. If you're not being used by God, it is your fault. Because God has set you aside for to be used by Him. He's got a purpose for you. And if you're not being used by God, you're walking in sin, or you're saying no, or you're not paying attention. So God has called you to, to, to use you for something. And if you're not being used, it's not God's fault that you're not being used. God uses everybody who's a follower of him. He sets them aside for the whole purpose of God. It is in your bulletin. I would encourage you to write this down. God has set me aside for a purpose. And find out what that is. In that day, you know, it was the everyday people. You know, the guys on a boat. The guys who were sailing a ship. They would be a saint. The, the mother's at home raising children about to pull her hair out of her head, trying to get her kids to do their chores. That mother's a saint if she's put her faith in Jesus. Shopkeepers, average ordinary people would be considered saints in Christ Jesus because they are set aside for the whole purpose of God. So you don't have to say, I've got to get up there in front of people. I got to have a whole month dedicated to the appreciation of me. I don't have to have any of that stuff. Anybody, no matter where you're at, what you're doing, classifies if you're if you're a follower of Jesus as a saint. I, I might be someone who's involved in the school system. You know, I can be a saint driving the school bus, working in the office, teaching a class. God uses everyday, ordinary people. The person who lives on a ranch can be considered a saint. You're set aside for the purpose of God. You're retired. Guess what? You're set aside for the purpose of God. There's nobody who can say, I'm not. If you put your faith in Jesus, God has a purpose for your life. So when Paul is writing this letter, he's writing to the saints in Plevna. He's writing to you. This is a letter to you. And pretty much every single thing in this book will apply to us as a letter. To the faithful in Christ Jesus, to those of us who put our faith in Jesus. When and where is this getting written? When is, is this, this letter getting written? Well, this is one of Paul's four missionary journey, or four, or Paul's four prison letters where he wrote while he was in prison. You know, in Acts 28, verses 30 and 31, we left Paul in prison. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house. He welcomed all who would come to him, and boldly he preached the gospel, and he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. He is in prison. He's got a guard right there that's chained to him 24 hours a day. Every six hours, I get away from Paul. Every six hours, I'm stuck to Paul. That's what it was like. And Paul is there, and while he's there, he's not moping. He's not pouting. He's not whining. He's taking advantage of the opportunity to share Jesus, and he He's writing these letters to the churches, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. He's there for two years, wondering if he's going to die. He's waiting for Nero to see him in court and cast his judgment on him. 
We know this was a letter that he wrote in prison because he says in various places, in chapter 3, verse 1, I'm suffering. And 3.13, prisoner. In chapter 4, verse 1, he's called himself a prisoner one more time. So try to keep that in mind as we go through this book. Paul is a prisoner. He's under house arrest. He's there for two years. At some point, that's where he is writing these, this letter from. And wherever you go, you are a saint in Christ Jesus. Whatever you're going through, you are called to do something. Why did Paul write this letter? Well, Ephesians, we're looking at a few different things here, so bear with me. Ephesians 1-2 says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's goal is to encourage the church. To the church that he's writing to, his goal is to encourage them. It says, Grace which is, may, may God look upon you with favor. You know, Plevna, First Baptist Church of Plevna, may God look upon you with favor and grace. May you have God's peace in your life in spite of what you're going through. That's what Paul would be saying to you. May God look upon you with favor. May you experience his peace in spite of what you're facing in your life right now. This is an encouraging letter that Paul is writing to all these churches. And this book can be written, broken down into two parts. The, parts first, the first part in chapters 1 through 3 is, this is what God has done. And chapters 4 through 6 is how shall we then live? What God has done, how we shall we then live? So, first of all, what God has done. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 through 5. We're going to look at this next week. There's a lot of deep things in here. So if you want to study some of this out, if you want to take notes, if you want to get very familiar with this, this is where we're going to be. It says, He's already blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Right now. You may not feel it, but you already are blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. He chose you before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Uh, he predestined he, he, before time that you be adopted as his sons. So we're going to be looking at things God has already done for you. Then we're going to be looking at how we shall we then live. Paul says, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. That makes a pretty good uh, key verse for this book. And I would encourage you, I know, I feel like I have dumped so much on you this year. I feel like Bible study is dumping a lot on you too. And then here I'm dumping even more because I'm asking you to read the Old Testament chronologically. In the Bible study, Paul's, or, uh, Todd's asking you to study and read the book of Amos. Now I'm asking you to, to, look, to memorize a verse. Uh, this verse, Ephesians 4.1, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Submit that in your mind. It's, it's what Paul is asking those people to do. It's what he's asking us to do as well. The second one, it, reason to, to see this is Ephesians 5.2. It says, be imitators of God. Live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. That's how we shall then live, because God did all these things for us. We should live a life worthy of the calling we have received. We should be imitators of God. So just so you get a heads up, this is what we're going to uh, be, be tackling as we move forward. Now, I need... I need every... 
I need every husband to look up here, please. Okay, every husband look up here. Make sure when we get here, you bring your wife. It says, wives, submit your husbands as to the Lord. <sighs> wives, I want you to look up here. <laughs> when we talk about this, make sure your husbands are here. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Parents, when we get here, make sure your kids are here. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. These are some of the other things we are going to be looking at. And because Daisy is here, we're gonna we're gonna be looking at putting on the full armor of God. I know David Jeremiah has preached like this this whole video series, this this whole multiple message on the, the, the armor of God. We're not going to take that long, okay? We'll probably get through it in a day. But we're going to be looking at these things. A lot of old things, a lot of new things, but all things that we're going to find in the book of Ephesians. So you know who wrote this. You know Paul. You know what he was, what he became, and why he changed. You know who the audience is. It's to the saints in Ephesus and all that whole area to the saints in Plevna. And you know where he was at. He was in prison writing these letters. He's not letting his concerns stop him. He says, I'm going to love God. I'm going to love the people. And you see what else to expect. We're going to be looking at what greatness, how great our God is, how shall I then live, and then goofy things that are added up here. So as we look at this, this is a saint to you. This is a letter to you. I want to encourage you, first of all, to live like a saint. Be an imitator of God and, and, and a follower of Christ and let that permeate out of your life. And, and two, so you're, you're living the faith that you say that you have. And be encouraged and be challenged. And if you get the opportunity, slowly read through this because this letter was written to you as well about what God has already done for you and how shall we then live. And please, I ask that you would pray a lot for me as I study this out, that I would preach it clearly and accurately so that God would get the glory and we would understand fully how to live the way that he wants us to live. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this letter that you have given to us. Uh, I know the whole Bible is a love letter to us, and I thank you for this book that stands out as a letter that could be written to almost anywhere, to any church. God, there's so much encouragement of how great you are and what you've done for us. But there's also that, that reminder, God, that we should be living our lives worthy of the calling we have received to imitate you. And I know, God, I don't always do that well. I mean, I, I try to, but I still struggle. And I imagine in here people struggle here as well. I just pray that this week, God, we would notice the difference in each other. We would notice the difference in our life that we are being a, living like a saint for you and doing what it is that you called us to do. I just pray that you'd stick these things in our minds and help us to remember them and to live them out. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.